Welcome to Trek Tuesday with interviews from every Star Trek generation. Welcome to this special Star Trek Day with interviews from every generation. Hi, today it's good to welcome back uh, Ben Robinson. Ben, you keep coming back. You might be a regular on this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there are worse things to do for me. Yes. <laughs> I enjoy myself. Oh, that's great. Well, today we, there's a new book that just came out, and it is part of the uh, Hero Collectors Shipyard series, Star Trek Shipyard series, and that is on the board and the Delta Quad. So how about that? It looks really good, by the way. Uh, it's the amount of detail that went into this. Right off the bat, I think what struck me, and I didn't realize this about Voyager, was they're probably the first Star Trek series where CGI was used so much more compared to the others. I mean, Next Gen was using models and, you know, by the time Enterprise came along, uh, of course, they were using it too. So that had a, a lot, it, it gave them license to create more, but it didn't give them the budget to create more. <laughs> so they kind of had to go speak to that part of the aspect of why there are so many ships that it warrants a book. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the thing about Voyager is that in a way, it was the fact that they needed a lot of ships that made them move over to CG. So if you think about it, you can't keep running into the Klingons or the Romulans. You, okay, the Borg, you can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the fundamental premise of Voyager is that you're moving through space and you meet these cool aliens and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, and then there's another race and then each race would have another ship. So they were under a lot of pressure to to keep coming up with, with new aliens and new ships. And particularly if you watch the first couple of seasons, you know, a ship was an expensive thing. Yeah. So you would meet aliens who mm, had a ship that you didn't see, you know, a little bit like the original series. Yes. Uh, not quite the glowing light <laughs> on the screen thing, but it was, um, you know, it was definitely a consideration for them that ships were really expensive. So around that time, um, CG had started to become sophisticated enough so you had Foundation Imaging who'd been working on Babylon 5 um, and they, the VFX guys could see that the time when you would be able to use CG was coming. And in the beginning, they were quite, um, quite cautious about it. They were worried that the ships wouldn't really stand up to being in the, in the foreground. Uh, but Mitch Siskin, who came aboard, who had, I think, worked at Foundation before he joined them, um, he had a lot of experience. Um, David Stipes was pushing hard for CG. I mean, funny enough, they'd had some CG back in TNG, like in season one. Um, you know, the crystalline entity is CG, and yeah. Later on, you get um, you get the Darcy archive and in, in the seventh season. So they had had some CG, um, but now they they really kind of felt okay. The technology is there; we can use that. So they they embraced it. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. A very ambitious book. Uh, now, this is only the first volume, but there is a second one. Is that correct? That is correct. There are so many. Once they got CG, they has so many ships that it got out of hand. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we'd done one book, it you couldn't have, done, you couldn't have heard. pages. We'd have had to have charged hundreds of dollars. It would have yeah. been. You know, it would have been unreasonable. So, um, yeah, it made sense to split it. So this one um, covers A to K. Yes. Um, and then the other one covers L to Z. I'm just very impressed. 
And it's not only the ships themselves, it's all the different text around it, explaining things. And for the first time, uh, I got to see little parts of the Borg ship and what they actually do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, oh, so that's what it does. Oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's where it comes from. All right, so there you go. But yeah, so it was that was really neat. Uh, I mean, the artwork is just absolutely incredible. You're the editor, and it has like three different authors, too. I mean, there's just so yeah. much material. So talk about coordinating all of this and... and I guess it's almost like setting up a battle plan to uh, to get this it is done. A bit, it is a bit. I mean, the the first thing we had to do um, was work out whether the ships existed, if that makes sense. Sure. So, um, you know, we have got copies of most of the, the visual effects companies' archives, so we can go in and find the ships and, and you know, we can render them out. So that's where the, the, the beautiful artwork comes from. Um, but the first task was I had to make a list of every ship ever. Uh, wow. <laughs> I have this massive Excel document now that lists every single ship that's ever appeared on Star Trek and whether it exists as a CG model already or whether it was something where we had to build our own that was based on really, we have really good photographic reference when it was a physical model. So something like the Kazon, they never built in CG for the show, so we rebuilt that. And mm. then we get that approved by CBS or the studio. Um, with, with this one, it was kind of interesting because you'd get something and you'd see like an episode and there might be some kind of little blob in the background. And then you'd discover that that was a ship. Um, and when you went into the files, you'd be like, oh, I can see the ship. And you can, you know, you could render it out and see it, see it properly. Wow. So that was that's one of the great pleasures of this book has been, you know, something that you saw maybe fleetingly in the background. Um, we're able to sort of give, give proper attention to her and show up nice and big. And as you say, with a lot of detail. Well, the, the good thing about in particular, the board, because since they crossed over in several series, you'll get ships from the different next gen, the next gen movie, uh, you know, first contact, the board cube is there, which is really cool and explains a little bit more about the cube. And obviously they can travel through time. So, <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. But also the uh, the next gen episode were essentially what I call the rogue board mm. uh, had it had their ship. I believe it was called maybe the Defiant or something along those lines. It, it never has an actual name in the an actual name. Oh, OK. So. So we we know it as yeah Laws Borg or the the Borg Renegade Renegade Borg faction Renegade that's right there you go Renegade Borg faction is how we tend to refer to them No yeah, that's cool the, that's cool No but I mean yeah, it's, and that's you know yes and when you know that the Borg come from the Delta Quadrant you realize then so does that ship So that was that was nice to be able to do that And you know there's pictures from the series and it's good to see not only Susanna Thompson's Borg Queen, mm -hmm. but also, of course, Alice Krieger. Mm. Really the only two women that I know of that have played the role. So uh, pretty cool. Yeah. It was good yeah, to see them. Just the two of them. Just the two of them. Um, they, they, it's, it's really difficult to tell them apart when they've got the full makeup on and all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, what you realize is in Voyager, there are quite a few episodes where you you sort of see inside a Borg cube. There are quite quite a lot, well, not that many, but there are definitely episodes where they infiltrate the Borg and you you sort of get to see the alcoves and things like that. Obviously, Seven had her alcove on Voyager. 
Um, and yeah, there's a there's there's a surprising variety of Borg ships. When you think of the Borg, you just kind of go, oh yeah, cube. Yeah. But, uh, actually, when you look into it, it's like oh sphere. And uh, the joke is that um, when they had the tactical cube, Doug Drexler said he wanted to design a pyramid so that there was a there were all three shapes. You get a square, a circle, and a, and a triangle. Um, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. As I said, just absolutely beautifully done. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and we're not going to share the screen because this is a podcast and it's audio and that's how people simulate what I do. So to go into detail, even the Borg Queen's ship was in there too, which I really liked that and some, the wonderful explanation that's on there. I, I like that. Talk about the little paragraphs called data feeds in there and, and, and what's kind of like their purpose for fans to look out for. Well, the idea of those, so we we wanted to put in everything that you could know about the ship. So, you know, you talk about the team. So what we have is a team of people, they're literally watching the episode and going through and trying to glean every piece of information about the ship that you can from the episodes it appears in. Um, and then obviously they have the advantage of having the the renders of the, the original models. Um, and then the data feeds were just, I've always thought that when you pick up a book, you engage with it at different levels. So you engage it at a level of something that you you want to just take away straight away, a kind of instant thing that you want to go down to, you know, you sit in the bar with your buddies and you say, oh, did you know Tom Paris is the first person to travel at Warp 10 and he turns into a salamander? Or, you know, I mean, okay, look, the yes. buddies already know that. Um, but there are a lot of those, those kind of little tidbit kind of pieces of information um, that we wanted people just to get straight away, you know, not to have to read the whole thing. I mean, these books are, you know, I, I always say, I call them Jane's fighting ships of Star Trek. You know, they are, they build into an encyclopedia. This is our seventh volume now, you know, where we hear yeah. every single ship that's appeared on screen. So, you know, it would be a, a very dedicated person who would sit down and read them all in one, one session. Yes. Um, but what we hope is that you can open the book and flick to a page and, you know, take something away from it. You really cover the board right down to the board probe. I mean, that's pretty good. That is really some work in there. And I, again, the artwork and the pictures are just absolutely. And I, I, I love personal favorite is the size chart where you size them all. Oh, up yeah. And you, can, <laughs> you can compare them and, and it's absolutely, uh, you know, wonderful. And yeah, there's quite a lot of research goes into that, I can tell you. Um, oh, absolutely. They didn't always work out exactly how big they were on the show. I'm, I'm not going to give away too much of what you find in, in the Delta Quadrant, but speaking of Delta, the Delta Flyer is in there, which is really mm -hmm. cool. And I think fans will appreciate that. Oh, man. Pretty amazing in, context, in context to everything as you go through the, the book and you see all the different things it jogs a memory and some honestly i forgot about so it's pretty cool to uh to to see them again and relive and then of course with i have paramount uh, plus i might go back and watch the episode again yeah too. well yeah i mean we did i you know we did the voyager celebration book yeah and i think you know you realize just how much star trek there is to hold in your head now you know i mean i i do it pretty much full time. And I know there are people who'll be listening who know an enormous amount 
Yeah. Um, but even so, you can remind people of things. And in this case, you know, you can show people things in much more detail than they were ever able to see them on the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of these ships, like I said, are just like little things in the background. There's some that are like flying around a space station or are in part of a race or um, are, are docked or you just see from a distance. So, you know, that's that's been a great pleasure of this is that that ability to kind of just like stop and like go, look at this. Because you realize how much attention went into like even those tiny things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just one Kind of hint, I'm so glad this was included, the Antarian Transstellar Rally that uh, the Delta Flyer took place, it took part in. <laughs> Such wonderful detail uh, on, on that as well. You get to see all the ships and you actually get a chance to glance at them and look at them. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's the real advantage of having the original production file. Yeah. You can go in there and you go, oh, there are nine ships or whatever it is in this episode. I, when I was watching it, I only saw six. <laughs> and then you go back through and you go, oh, there it is. There it is in the corner. Or it just flew past really quickly. So, Ben, how long does it take to put a project like this together? I would think it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work for sure. I mean, we on something like this, like I said, we have a really, a really good team of people who work on it together. If it was one person, it would take a lot longer. Oh, sure. I, I honestly, I can't tell you how long it takes, really, because so much of it is stuff that we, we've been working on for a long time. So that creating the renders, we already have like a massive library of renders oh, I bet. Ships, which we've made. So a lot of it is actually organizational. You know, it's like, okay, do we have this? Do we have that? Like I'm saying, that, that big chart of every ship ever, um, you know, you have, to, you have to go through a ton of stuff to work that out. I mean, uh, you know, the website Ex Astra Scientia, which has all the, the ship listings, is really, really helpful to us. I mean, we still found stuff that they didn't know about. Um, uh-huh. to them. They, I mean, they would say to us, oh, that's something we've never been able to work out. Can you have a look? Um, <laughs> so we'd like open up the files and go, yeah, look, here it is. And they go, oh, that's what it looks like, you know. So, yeah, that, it's, 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 it, I, yeah it's, it's a lot of work, but I couldn't tell you because we, we were doing a lot of other work at the same time as well. So, um, No, it shows and it's so beautifully done. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. The layout is just so crisp. It's almost like looking at uh, something at Memory Alpha and just, you know, going into a computer on the Enterprise or wherever. And, uh, and you kind of get lost, uh, you know, and kind of dream a little bit about ships. And I've always wow. liked spaceships. So, and Star Trek, I always thought, had some of the coolest. So, uh, yeah, and, th- and this book points that out. So I love that. I'm glad you think so. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think everything shows... The, the skill and the, the attention to detail and the love of the people who made the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. That you can, um, you know, there's not a lot in there that was just tossed off or, you know, that people didn't think, think hard about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it is great to, to be able to, like I said, that I kind of pause the frame, as it were, and, and see it. And particularly because Voyager has, um, you know, hasn't been remastered yet, sadly. No, um, which is a crime, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's a very expensive process, which is why it hasn't happened. Um, um, but 
you know, this at least we can show you the ships in HD for sure. And <laughs> absolutely they are in the book. I, I do like in, in the beginning, the acknowledgement, pointing out the people that were so key in the designs, the Rick Sternbacks, Dan Curry, who I had a chance to talk to once. And one of my favorite interviews was, you know, just anything to do with Star Trek, I always enjoy. And also the creators of the series, Mr. Berman, of course, and Michael, the late, great Michael Piller mm. and Jerry Taylor. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, there, and there's a few more also that are mentioned. And of course, Matt Jeffries, who's the tube is named after, and the great bird of the galaxy himself, Gene Roddenberry. So uh, I don't think I ever would have guessed in my youth that the Star Trek universe would be as huge as it is. Mm. And, there, and there's discovery now, too. So it's yeah, like, it only gets bigger. It only gets yeah, bigger like, every year. Uh oh, there's another book right there, you know, just on the ships of discovery alone, you know, and especially now that they jumped forward. It's like everything's different. The, the the whole new discovery has to be, I mean, there's parts of the ship I, I don't know because it's so futuristic and so new. So uh, cool. I mean, there's some cool stuff they did. Uh, their designers went nuts on that show and really came up with some really cool interfaces. So uh, when you do that one, that's going to be on my list. Oh, well, we've already done that one. You've that's, done it. Yeah. It's on the way. I mean, the the exteriors. So we've updated the the volume that relates to 2024, which is after um, after Generations, the beginning of, you know, the beginning of Generations when Kirk gets lost. Yes. Through to the future. Yeah. Uh, and the future just got a lot bigger. So, yeah, we've just updated that. It'll be out in a couple of months, I think. Oh, fantastic. Out, fantastic. But I think, you know, certainly before July, I think. So that's on the way. Yeah, the updated version of that, which has all the Discovery ships, and you can have a really good look at them. Wow. Um, and great. the ones from Picard as well, and Lower Decks. So, yeah, there's a, a ton more Star Trek um, than there was a year ago, for sure. I'm just so glad that CBS you know, finally embraced it mm. and finally got it off the ground. And, uh, you know, it was a perfect storm. They had this channel, the streaming channel. They needed content, and look what they had. It was sitting there, staring them in, staring them in the cells, you might say. <laughs> and, and there you go, and 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 they did it. And uh, I and you know Alex Kurtzman. I, I mean, I've met those guys and, and interviewed them at New York Comic Con here. So it's just their hearts are totally in the right place. He totally understands what Star Trek is about. And, uh, you know, to some extent, I would say also Rick Berman did, too. I mean, you can't make those many series and not know what you're doing. So uh, he knew what he was doing. I so, definitely. I mean, I don't think anybody who liked Next Gen or DS9 or Voyager or Enterprise, those shows would not have been the way they were if it wasn't for Rick Berman. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Oh, absolutely. There are lots of other people involved, obviously. Um, and, you know, each show has its own flavor. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of time for people who are like, oh, that person doesn't understand Star Trek. It's like, well, they, they made Star Trek. I mean, you know, yeah, it is Star Trek, whatever you, uh, whether it's your, your personal flavor or not, that's what Star Trek is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm old enough. I'm, <clears throat> I think you might be too, to remember when next gen started and everyone was like, oh, this isn't real Star Trek, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yo, the, the first few seasons were like, Oh, I don't know. This is not happening, you know. And like 
first season, you revisited the naked time. And it's like, do you really need to do that? It's like, you know, you've kind of done it and they've done it really well. And I don't, you know, I just don't, we don't know these characters yet. So, you know, it, it was too soon for that. I will give them that the fact that the writer strike really crippled the second season. Uh, you know, that was not totally their fault. And they just, they had a writer strike, but uh, the third season, man, they got, I, they found their way and they, no, they found Michael Pillar. That's why yeah, they did. Michael, Michael uh, made all the difference. Um, and, and Ronald D Moore. And yeah, Iris, well, Michael, Iris, and I, Iris, even Burr also, they, they had this staple of people that were just ready to break out. And they ended up running their own shows down the road because they were that talented. So, yeah, uh, but I mean, also that some of the, the people, I mean, the people who survived from the second season as well. So like Melinda Snodgrass or yeah, oh, yeah. Hans Beimler, Ricky, Ricky Manning. Yeah. They, they came through from the second season as well. That's and, right. You know, I think they found life quite difficult in the third season. They, you know, uh, they all left at the end of the third season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's for me, that's definitely that kind of one of those magic moments when Star Trek kind of came into focus. And absolutely really deliver. Yeah, the, the people that, and for whatever reason, the people that couldn't hook into the old show because, you know, the effects weren't all that great and, and you know, cardboard sets and, you know, paper mache caves and things. Mm. And, and frankly, I'm not going to name names, but some of the acting wasn't all that fantastic. But, um, but next gen, they really cast everybody well. And, and Gene was very involved. So uh, he, he had think, more money to work with for one thing. I think Roddenberry, I mean, one of Roddenberry's greatest skills was casting. Absolutely. You know, when you, you look at the original series, we just finished, a, you know, like we talked about the Voyager book we did last year, we just finished the original series equivalent book. Oh, nice. Um, and you realise that, uh, you know, the, the chemistry between Chatner and Nimoy and Defoe mm. is extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. It's something we've never you, seen it since. It's just so no, hard to bottle that. No, absolutely. And and that that comes down to not just the writing, which is obviously very important, but to the to the actors bringing something and the way they play off one another. You know, they make one another better. Yes. And I think, you know, that's what I think you get with great actors is that they make the other actors in the scene better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I get older and having spoken to him, I think to me what grounds the show really keeps me, that kept me coming back and still I look forward to seeing is Leonard Nimoy's spot. Mm. It was just, his performance was just so damn good. And he didn't get the accolades when the show was on, unfortunately, but obviously he's very revered now. And the awards didn't come his way, and they should have. But he was just, he totally grounded the series for me. Uh, you know, a, a guy who's trying to find a place to fit in and, and can't find a place to fit in except on the Enterprise. Uh, I just uh, watched Journey to Babel the other day again, and uh, just wonderful written scenes between him and his mother and his him and his father. I mean, it was just you really got the sense of who Spock, you know, what, where Spock came from and what it was like. Uh, the, the scene where with his mother, where she slaps him, it's such a wonderfully dramatic 
uh, epi- you know, scene, uh, you know, where Spock doesn't refuses to help his father because he has a duty to the ship. Just beautifully done. And yeah, I mean, every time he got a chance to do something, and even all the episodes where he is involved, it's just he, Spock is a character that's going to go down in history forever as one of the best in science fiction. It's just, you, it's hard to replace a guy like that. One of the greatest television characters in, in the history of television. I, I mean, think so. I think, you know, you're up, uh, he's in that kind of top five characters for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and a lot of that was definitely down to Leonard. Um, and Dorothy mm-hmm. Fontana, obviously, who wrote oh, yeah. Babel, Dorothy had a, and this side of paradise, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. he wrote a load of episodes, had a, a, a big role in that. She was fascinated with Balkans. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean that's that's a big part of the the original series book that we just finished. And you, one of the things I found fascinating about that is, you know, there are a lot of stories that you'd heard from Leonard about how um, how, how he introduced the Vulcan nerve pinch, or yeah, 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 <laughs> how he introduced the Vulcan salute, or these kind yeah. of things. But when you actually kind of write them out sequentially. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, that part of Spock appears in this episode. And then a couple of episodes later, this happens. And then a couple of episodes later, this happens. And so on. you get this really strong sense of the character building and growing. Um, and Leonard was very protective of Spock. He was always very, very careful to, yeah. um, to express his own opinions and to, to not let um, writers or directors push the character into something that was different, you know, that mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't what he envisaged. Um, I think that that's something that came through to me really strongly when we were working on this particular book. He told me once about the scene in Naked Time where Spock is st- sitting at the console in, a, you know, in the briefing room, trying to keep it all together because mm-hmm. his emotions are just wrecking him and he can't control them anymore because of the, you know, because of the, of the, the, the sweat gland, uh, you know, mm-hmm. malady. And the camera does, they actually took a dot, they put a dolly track down and actually, I mean, now they can do it probably with Steadicam, but in those days they didn't have it. So the camera dollies around Spock and as the camera moves, his emotions get more and more intense. And I, you know, it was his idea to do it. And Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was really the beginning of him being the director that he became. And I, I asked him and he said, actually, that it was uh, that as as much as people tried to control things and keep things, directors were very willing to listen to ideas on the show. The Mark Daniels, the Joseph Peevneys, who created some of the best episodes and directed some of the best episodes on the show. And it's really, a, a, if you watch that scene today, the power of it still resonates, you know, and it's like it, you just... And, and what what happened afterwards after that aired, his fan mail like went through the roof. Yeah, because people yes. connected with that scene. It was really just, yeah. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to him about that because uh, that was about that always struck me that scene. Really, really cool scene. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the Star Trek original series book. It's a series that holds a very special place in my heart because that's what I was growing up with as a young man. That's what. You know, that in the Twilight Zone were my earliest attractions to sci-fi. And uh, and it was, you know, Star Trek was, and still is, very important to me. And the philosophy behind it mm. of inclusion and diversity, uh, I mean, that 
resonates into real life too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that book you guys do. I'm sure you're going to do a great job there too. Yeah, well, we just finished it, just finished it literally this week. So uh, yeah, I'm still in that kind of like, yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's really good. But you'd have to wait until someone else has seen it to give you a really good opinion. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. I think you'll, I, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. Um, oh, good, good. There's a lot of stuff in there about what, how the series came to be the way it was. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of, you know, Ian, I co-wrote it with Ian Spelling. Um, and we both put a lot of a lot of time and effort into to going back through all the old interviews that we've done, finding out as much as we possibly could, putting things together. And, you know, and it, the thing is, it's the first time I think anyone's ever done a book that covers like with lots of pictures. But it's obviously there's Stephen Whitfield making of you know Stephen Poe Whitfield making of Star Trek. But this yeah, is I had a, I had a copy of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time that anyone's really kind of done a kind of like, this is what this department did. This is how the department oh, worked. Wow, nice. Here are pictures of the department, nice. you know, uh, as well as like really kind of looking at how the characters came to be and how the actors shaped them and what effects it had on their lives as well. So, I mean, I, you know, I, at the moment, I, I, I think I'm, I'm just getting over it, but I'm pretty proud. <laughs> cool. So I hope I hope everyone likes it when it's out later in the year. It's out out in September when the show. Oh, good. Oh, there you go. Yeah, for the anniversary. Um, yeah. You know, Ian Spelling, and I'm trying to get an interview with him because I think he played a big part in Star Trek history, along with a few other people that kind of kept it alive when the show was not on the air anymore. You know, writing about it, talking about it, uh, and that was a very important time because you went from 1968 to 1979, uh, you know, where there wasn't anything new except the syndicated reruns. So it had to, you know, that was a dark period in Star Trek history and uh, nothing, I mean, look at the embarrassment of riches we have today, but I remember those times really, really well. And it was tough. It was very tough. To, but the uh, other thing, though, was then you know you could um, you couldn't sit there like, like people can now and go, well, I'm going to watch that episode. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. watch it like that. Press of a button, instantly yeah. there in your in your living room. You know, back in the back in the seventies, you'd like, okay, what are they showing this week? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, what is it today? What, what episode do we get? Um, I didn't even realize that there were only seventy nine episodes until. I think 1978. So, yeah, yeah. they'd stopped making it in 69. And I was like, oh, my God, they stopped making it. I was horrified. Yeah, um, it turned about Intruder, the last Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a bad one to finish off, I'll tell you. <laughs> that was not one of my favorites. Uh, it's Bill Shatner's favorite episode. Oh. Uh, he always holds it up because it's an acting challenge. It's, you know, oh, it's God. a different character in Kirk's body. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't it's think not it my favorite episode, I have to say. The writing and, you know, I mean, Gene was no longer involved at that point yeah. and he had pretty much got fed up being pushed out. And uh, so, I mean, it was it was it was tough. And then, you know, it was all over. But, but well, of course, yeah. the movies came along and, and the movies, the movies gave the original crew a chance to go out in real style. Yeah. And this undiscovered country, what a great that was their that was their series finale as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, that was cool. That was really I think cool. that's true. Well, this is a great book. 
Borg and the Delta Quadrant, Volume 1. I mean, there's just so much in there to digest. And yes, it will jog your memory. Ben, thank you for being there. Great job editing this. Uh, thank you. I mean, this is uh, this is quite an armada you guys had to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good line. I'm going to keep that. But uh, I'll tell you, you did a great job, and I I love it. I got I lucky, you know, I got the PDF, and I'm gonna, I'm going to scour it in more detail. I think uh, tonight, and 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 see what episodes I might want to see again. <laughs> Oh well, I feel like I've done the, done you some good in that case. Right? Oh, absolutely! It is your pain to watch. You guys are hero collectors. Done a lot of good to a lot of Star Trek fans oh. and sci-fi fans in general. So, keep up the great work. Thank you for being on the podcast again, and uh, stay safe and stay well. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Right. And thank you all for listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Until next time, this is Tony Tolado. Take care now. This is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager, and you are listening to Sci-Fi Talk.